Mr. Jay Billis is a former college basketball player at Duke University and was drafted in the fifth round of the 1986 NBA draft by the Dallas Mavericks. After his basketball career, Mr. Billis also served as assistant under Mike Krzyzewski at Duke University from 1990 to 1992. Today, Mr. Billis is a well-known name in the sports world as a college basketball analyst for ESPN and covers the annual NBA draft and Final Four. Mr. Billis has been considered to be one of the 10 most powerful voices in sports media by The Hollywood Reporter and one of the 25 most powerful people in college sports by Forbes. He currently lives with his wife, son, and daughter in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's truly our privilege and honor to get to interview him today. Mr. Billis, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Thank you. I swear them streets so get so tricky. Glad I didn't fall for the bait. So focused on determined, can see that in my face. I gotta go to work. That was one of your daily Young Jeezy lines on Twitter. For our listeners, explain who Young Jeezy is and the reason behind you posting these daily rhymes. Well, Jeezy is a uh, well-known uh, hip-hop rap artist that uh, that I enjoy listening to. And uh, about ten years ago. Um, I was on college game day and Draymond Green was listening to Jeezy and uh, somebody asked me if I did too. And my answer was, yes, I did and still do. And so the, uh, the everyday tweet was just kind of a fun thing that I started doing. I don't even remember how it got started. It was just an odd, you know, an odd happening, but it's been something I've done pretty much every day since. And it's a fun way to, fun way to start the day and people seem to get a kick out of it. So it's been, uh, been an enjoyable thing for me. I know Arsh and I always get a kick out of it. And now moving to basketball, we heard you were forced introduced to basketball in third grade. How did that kid being forced to play basketball by his mom become a top 50 recruit averaging a double-double in high school? I don't know that I was forced, but my mom certainly wanted me out of the house. And I wasn't old enough to play Little League baseball just yet. So uh, I went, uh, you know, we she drove me up to the local high school. I tried out for uh, the you know, the local league. And I wound up making an all-star team without ever having really played except in my backyard. And, uh, so I just started, I started falling in love with the game. I loved it from the beginning and, uh, played all the way through high school and got recruited and went to college and then played professionally. And, uh, it's just always been part of my life and, and I've always, always loved it. And you just said you made an all-star team without even having any experience. Do you think the reason was because of that was you had the intangibles? I think it, it was probably because I was tall. And uh, I'm sure I showed some a bit of ability. Otherwise, I don't think anybody would have put me on that team. But I didn't really have any experience playing organized basketball to that point. I was just, in, I, I was just about to start fourth grade. So, um, but all my friends, uh, I, I was very lucky that, you know, my best friends were on that team, what turned out to be my best friends. I didn't know any of them at the time, uh, but it turned out to be a great thing. And the relationship I had with my coach was one of the best player coach relationships I've ever had. So I was, I was very lucky out of the gate to have that sort of experience. And after your amazing play in high school, averaging 24 points and 13 rebounds per game, you were named first team all CIF, first team all South Bay, MVP of the Bay League, and best in the West by Long Beach Press Telegram. 
What can you tell our generation of kids about work ethic and what it takes to have such determination? Well, I don't know it's anything different in your generation, my generation, any generation. If it's something you want to do, uh, there are very few people that can do what they want without putting in a tremendous amount of work. Um, you know, you can have talent, but talent isn't enough. And uh, I think if you really enjoy it, you're, you'll be willing to put the work in. Uh, and if you love it, it won't seem like work. Uh, and that's what happened for me uh, in almost everything. Um, there were certain things in school that I didn't love to do, but I felt like I had to do. But the way I kind of looked at it is, is, you know, school was a necessary uh, I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it better now, but school was, was a necessary thing. It was a have to activity. Uh, my schoolwork and, and subjects, maybe I didn't care for uh, that. That was have to, but I kind of realized if you take care of the have to stuff and do it the right way, maybe later on in life, if you're lucky, uh, you'll get to make your decisions on a want to basis. You know, this is what I want to do. Not everybody gets to do what they want to do. That's a, that's a privilege. In 1982, Coach K had only been coaching for two years and was still building his program. What drew you to Duke at that time? I liked him. That, that was all it was. Um, he was the reason I went there and, uh, and truthfully, the reason I stayed there the whole four years. Um, if I wasn't happy in my basketball life, I, I wasn't going to be happy at all. And, uh, and he, was, he was the reason I went there. In 1982, Coach K recruited you to play at Duke, where you became a four-year starter. That year's recruiting class, with Johnny Dawkins, Mark Allaire, David Henderson, and yourself, went on to become the highest-scoring single class in college basketball history. How did you guys build the teamwork and camaraderie to achieve that goal? Well, that that wasn't a goal of ours was to be you know to be a, a high-scoring class or all that. Uh, the goal was we wanted to win. And, uh, and we had a, a really good group of, of not only talented players, but really good guys. And so we were all great friends on and off the court. And, uh, and I think everybody was willing to sacrifice uh, for the greater good, if you will. And, uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons we were good. I mean, everybody in the class was a talented player, but not everybody could be the leading scorer or take the most shots or, you know, get their name on a headline in the newspaper, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but I think everybody was willing to do what it took that, that our team was the best team. And that's, that's the, that's the attitude I think we had. And, uh, and I think we took that on into everything else we did, you know, where we're hopefully productive members of really good teams. Right now, the Duke-UNC rivalry is considered by many to be the biggest rivalry in all of sports. Back then, was it as pronounced that it, as it is today? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, because every rivalry is really important to the participants. I mean, there's no difference in intensity level from Duke Carolina or you know, Cincinnati Xavier or USC, UCLA or Alabama Auburn. They're all incredibly important to those that are participating in it. Uh, the difference with Duke Carolina is so many people outside of, of the rivalry care about it. It's the amount of eyeballs that are on it. Uh, it's really incredible. So that, that makes it uh, even higher level. And then, you know, there, there's never been a rivalry in any sport where they can match 
where the participants can match the years of dominant excellence in, in, in the sport. Uh, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, there's no way those two teams have been as good as Duke Carolina in basketball over the last 40 years. It's not close. And uh, you name any other rivalry, they, they can't match it. They can't match the number of championships, the number of top five uh, uh, matchups, you name it. it. It's always important and, and the game always delivers. Definitely. We agree. And during that time while you were at Duke, the goat of basketball, Michael Jordan, was playing for UNC. What was it like to play against him with all of your teammates? It was great. Uh, he was the best player, and we all knew it. And uh, being able to compete against North Carolina was an honor uh, and still is to go to those games. Uh, so I think anytime you know you suit up against uh, the best, uh, it brings out the best in you, at least you hope. But, uh, it, you know, you have to – enjoy it and not take it for granted it's a it's an incredible challenge and you're very fortunate to have the opportunity your success at duke led you to be selected to the usa basketball national select team in 1985 how awesome is that and who were some of the people that were on that team with you well it was great and i i was very fortunate i got to play with tommy amaker on that team who was a teammate of mine at duke and you know we roomed together during training camp and uh, I thought I knew him really well, but I got to know him even better in that experience, you know, spending, we must've spent three weeks to a month together with that team uh, going overseas and, and training and all that stuff and playing. So that was a, a really fun experience. And it was an honor to you know, play for the United States and uh, to play with so many great guys that I still keep in touch with even now and to play Gene Cady, uh, the great Purdue head coach was our head coach for the USA national team. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience. What was the selection process like for you to be, to go on that team and how did it come about? Uh, it, we, we were, we were a selected team. So it was the U S uh, men's national select team, which means they didn't hold tryouts for that team. They picked the team. And uh, so I was selected and uh, I don't know why, maybe they needed somebody to carry the luggage around on the trip, but it was a great, great uh, honor for me. And one that I'll never forget. After getting drafted in the fifth round by the Dallas Mavericks in 1986, you went on to play basketball in both Italy and Spain. What were some of the similarities and differences you noticed in all three basketball leagues? Well, uh, there the, there are more similarities and differences. Obviously, the difference is you're in a different country. Um, and look, the NBA is a higher level. Back then, the second best uh, place in the world to play basketball outside of the NBA was uh, Italy. And so I played there for a couple of years and really enjoyed it. And I played my last season in, uh, in Spain. Uh, and then I got a coaching job uh, at Duke and went to law school at the same time. I was a graduate assistant at, uh, for Coach K in the early 90s. So uh, that was that was a I think playing overseas was a, a great education in basketball and, you know, got to learn the international game and a different way of, uh, of sort of training and practicing that they did at that time and uh, and played against a ton of great players. Um, I think it it opened your eyes that if you you know, if you think the. I mean, the United States has more of the best players in the world, but it doesn't have them all. And uh, there are a lot of just amazing players in these different countries. And when you play against them, you realize that uh, that we're just we're, we're just uh, we just have the most. We don't have them all. How did you manage 
coaching under Coach K, as well as getting your law degree? Wasn't that hard. Um, you know, I learned a lot uh, every day in practice, meeting, scouting, uh, film, you name it. It was great. And then I made sure I got my uh, my degree and, and did my work in law school. So it's just sort of concentrate on what you're doing while you're doing it. And as soon as you're done with it, move on because you got other things to accomplish that day. I had a lot on my plate, but it never felt overwhelming. Uh, I just I just kind of handled I handled it and uh, and didn't didn't really look back. After your basketball career, you went back to Duke to serve as an assistant coach to Coach K. What were some of the things you learned from Coach K that were different from when you played with him? Well, everything was different because you were behind the curtain. So as a uh, an assistant coach, the depth of knowledge you had about your opponents and, and the preparation was completely different. As a player, uh, I don't think Coach K believed in overdoing it with scouting for players. He didn't want us overthinking things. Uh, but as, a, as an assistant, you had you had reams of, of information on your opponent so that you weren't surprised by anything. Um, and then just the level of preparation. I think we were very well prepared as players, but, uh, you know, as coaches, we were, I think, even more prepared as far as what we knew about uh, opponents and our own team, uh, things like that. You had to have a, just a greater uh, base of, of knowledge of things. Uh, but that's as it should be. You don't, uh, you know, the coaches don't have to, don't have to go out there and physically compete. So you're, you're doing everything you can to help the players be successful. That's, that's the whole point of coaching. And like we mentioned earlier, you played Duke basketball under Coach K for four years. What were some of the things you implemented in your coaching that you learned while you were playing under Coach K? Uh, well, I knew the system already, and I knew what he liked and what he expected. So uh, I, I was really there to help and to learn and to serve, you know, the best interest of the program and the best interest of coach K, uh, while I was working for him. So I didn't look at it like, like I needed to implement anything. I, I just sort of, uh, did the job that was in front of me and, uh, and kept my head down and paid attention to what was important that particular day. How did you get from being an assistant coach for Coach K to becoming one of the 10 most powerful voices in sports media, according to The Hollywood Reporter? Take us through your journey. Well, I don't know that I am that, but uh, what basically happened was after I got, after my third year as an assistant at Duke, I got married and my wife and I decided that uh, continuing coaching wasn't the best thing for our family. So we decided that, uh, that I could, I had a law degree, I'd passed the bar exam so I could practice law. And, and, uh, somehow I got an offer to do some broadcast work and, and it led to more. And then it led to a career decision on, uh, making broadcasting my number one career priority rather than law being my, uh, being an attorney, my number one career priority. So it just sort of happened. Um, uh, I think it was purposeful, but at the same time, uh, I wasn't counting on broadcasting being a career. It was more something I was doing because I enjoyed it. Uh, and then when it became a career, it was something I dove into headfirst and, and never looked back. Many athletes turn reporters say being on both sides brings a whole new perspective to reporting. How has the fact that you have been a pro athlete influenced or shaped the way you report? I don't think it has, honestly. Uh, I think what, uh, what has influenced me most has been my training and my career as a, a, a lawyer. Uh, I think I approach things differently than I would 
have without it. Uh, so that's been the most uh, uh, beneficial thing for my uh, my broadcast career has been my law degree and uh, my law training and, and law practice, all that I've learned in that area. That's been very helpful. What's the average day and of normal day like for you? Well, I don't know that I have a normal day anymore. Um, I, uh, I spend all my time on basketball. I do, I do have some other things that enter into my existence on the legal side, but it's mostly basketball. So I spend a lot of time studying the game, uh, watching film, going to practices. Um, you know, I read a lot about basketball and, and try, to, you know, try to learn about it. It's always changing. And then I have a, uh, my eye on policy changes uh, within the game. And so it's pretty comprehensive, but it's all, it's all basketball. So that's been, a, that's been a nice thing for me. During the NBA draft or the Final Four, take us through the experience of being on the court reporting everything that happens from the tip-off to the final buzzer. Well, I think anybody that's watching a game when you're immersed in it, you know, the only difference is when I'm doing it is I, uh, you know, I'm telling more people about it. But if you're sitting watching a game, explaining it to somebody, uh, you would do the same things that I do. Um, it's really not a, a difficult task, but you try to do it uh, in an informative and, and entertaining way without you don't want to turn the game into a basketball clinic and you don't want to turn it into a comedy routine, but you want to have it somewhere in between where it's the stuff's supposed to be fun, you know, fun for the viewer, fun for the, uh, the broadcasters and, and all that. It's beyond, beyond the competition, it's entertainment. And so we, we try to make it entertaining, informative, fun, serious when it needs to be. Um, so it's a balancing, everything's a balancing. Uh, so you just try to balance balance out the competing interests. Of course. And what's it like specifically covering the NBA draft and seeing the next generation of talent enter the NBA? Well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work uh, because you have to, you know, have a uh, an understanding and a an expertise on each player and understand each player and your judgments on that player. Um, but it's also a, a joyous occasion because the players are, that's really the start for so many of them of their professional lives and their first introduction to, uh, to the public as a professional. Uh, so it's a, it's an enjoyable and they know where they're going. You know, they may get traded, but they know where they're going. And so it's a, it's a really fun, fun night. And similar to what we were talking about before, you just balance out the, the commentary, the judgments, and then make sure that, uh, that the emotion and the, the fun of the evening uh, are balanced out appropriately. Can you tell our listeners about your book titled Toughness, Developing True Strength on and off the court? Yeah, I wrote a book several years ago on, on the subject of toughness and defined it and uh, spoke with a lot of people I know, a lot of friends and different uh, areas of life uh, as to how they define it. And it was basically written uh, for you know, younger players, younger coaches, teachers, students, you name it, that, uh, um, that would find it beneficial. And uh, really, it's about uh, finding it within yourself to be better. And, and that's what uh, I used the concept for. And the book was a great exercise for me. And it's been very gratifying. That so many people have enjoyed it. Now let's take a look at something a lot more recent. Jalen Johnson opting out of the rest of the regular season. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, it's, it's certainly up to every player. You know, the NCAA tells us constantly it's a voluntary activity and uh, he chose to move on. So there are certainly issues of, of, you know, finish what you start, you know, you shouldn't quit anything. I, I understand all that. And the uh, reflexive sort of the notion that you shouldn't quit on your team, things like th- those are all, that's all fair game. Um, but I think when you're going through something like, uh, like this pandemic, there are stressors that have been added to, to every team, every player uh, that, that in a lot of ways we can't really imagine. So, um, you know, I think, taking a step back from it and maybe not being so judgmental on it uh, might be the better course of action. You know, we've had other players that have opted out for different reasons and some did it after Jalen Johnson did. Um, And, and theirs was a different, you know, they decided to transfer and go into the transfer portal right away. Um, You know, so people have different reasons for their actions. Uh, What I objected to was sort of the, reflexive notion that you know Duke was better off because he had left as if he were the the reason why they weren't winning as many games as people expected them to win I thought that was unfair uh, and I thought frankly it was wrong and it was it was said in a in a reactionary way to his decision uh, more so than than about the you know the actual sort of results of things as if it's only one thing you know, that Duke is playing better. Therefore, it's because of Jalen Johnson's uh, decision rather than it's a variety of factors. You know, Duke's been going to practice every day this whole season. They've been getting better over the course of the year. So the fact that they've played better is, is not just based on one thing. Coach Beheim uh, had his say. I had mine. I disagree with him. Um, but there's no question as to what he said. Now, if you want to, people want to interpret it as they, they wish, but he said that guy was hurting them, meaning Jalen Johnson was hurting the Duke team. He has nothing to back that up with. And, uh, uh, and he said that, that he was doing some things that kept other players from playing that are good. Uh, Jalen Johnson made no decisions as to who played and who did that was made by Mike Krzyzewski, the head coach. And I would, I would challenge anyone to suggest or, or, uh, state that, that Jim Beheim knows more about basketball than coach K and knows more about his team that, that, uh, uh Jim Beheim knows more about the Duke team than coach K does. Now, maybe he knows as much, but he doesn't know more. And, uh, and so I objected to that, that, that was, and I said, so. And sort of that's what my job is. And I've known Jim Beheim since I was 17, 18 years old. He recruited me. I'd walk through fire for him. I think he is a fabulous guy then, now, and always. But we differ on this one one thing. And uh, and he can he differs with me, and I differ with him. So, you know, it, it, that's the way the world works, and I have no problem with that. What advice do you have for young kids who aspire to grow up and cover many major sporting events like yourself. Prepare yourself as best you can right now to do whatever, uh, whatever the, the world requires of you because things are going to change. You know, you may have one plan now that you want to pursue, but you may have that plan change. Your taste may change. Your uh, things that you want in the future may change. So, Prepare yourself to be as well-rounded and prepared for anything as you can. Uh, you've got a lot of opportunities right now in school and outside of school uh, to have a lot of varied experiences. And I would 
I would not hesitate to chase after those different experiences. Thank you for that piece of advice and thank you for joining us today. We thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about your childhood as well as how you got to where you are today. We wish you continued success in your broadcasting career and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. It was great to be with you and great to, great to meet you. Take care. Thank you. You too.